This is CliffCentral.com. On a Thursday afternoon at just after one o'clock with myself, Mabali Molloy, and Aspasia is back. <laughs> Bailey, I'm delighted to be back. You have I'm been missed you. And I tried. I tried so hard to Skype in. Yeah. It was practically impossible. I'm like, what is wrong with the Wi-Fi up there in the Europe? <laughs> yes, this is where you were. You went to France. I went to France. I popped into a bit to London. And neither places could I find Wi-Fi that worked well enough to actually Skype. So it says, I mean, it's like a terrible fallacy. It says that you're connected to Wi-Fi, mm. but it doesn't give you any juice to power anything up. This this is the lifestyle of a magazine editor. Can we do a swap for about six months? And then I can also travel to New York and Paris and Milan. Can, and I, tell you, can I tell you that being in Paris was like being in a kettle. I was like, what? It was so hot. I was like walking around in a kettle. It was 38 degrees by day, 31 degrees by one o'clock in the morning. Right. You, seriously, it was like a kettle because you were the one that was like letting off steam all the time. Um, now that, uh, manly voice that you hear in the background, oh, that is Lise Josemena. He is our guest joining us this afternoon. Uh, we're going to get to you, Lisekho, in just a moment. But first, we have to get through the women's news because... Women's news? It's the women's news. Okay. You'll, you will find out why in just a moment, Lisekho. <laughs> That's our we roll. ...is our guest this afternoon. So, without uh, further ado, let's get straight into it. Right, so one of the biggest stories that we cannot ignore or avoid is the Bill Cosby situation. Um, ever it's since, all one can say. ever since the deposition, uh, was made public on Monday, everybody has had something to say. Uh, Hollywood have got a lot to say, you know, you've got. And they've ditched him, so he has no representation. Oh anymore. my goodness. The, the agency that was managing and representing him, mm. they've dumped him. They said, sorry, we're done with you, no more. So he doesn't have an agent in Hollywood. His TV shows are off the air. He was still doing comedy shows. So now I don't know if people are going to want to even touch him to book him for anything. Now, Jill Scott, um, she was on the uh, supportive camp mm. on, uh, for Bill Cosby for a while. And then ever since Monday, when this deposition was made public and we found out that, yes, in fact, he did admit to dragging at least one woman. Um, Jill Scott went onto social media and she said, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, I can't believe yeah. that I was a supporter of him. But one person who is not backing down is Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg has basically supported Bill Cosby since day one. And she continued to do so this week, even though the, the deposition it's was made public. And then now people have been attacking Whoopi Goldberg for <sighs> the fact that she says, you know, let, let, let the, let the courts try him and then I might change my story. So have a listen to some of what Whoopi Goldberg had to say in her defense because people are now attacking her. Yesterday we talked about Cosby and I said what I've always said, innocent or proven guilty in the United States of America because that's our law. Uh, so people have been coming after me saying they're going to snatch my family. They're going to come. Up. It's like being Frankenstein. People coming after you with the fire and they're going to burn you. Well, here's the deal. This is the view. And that was my opinion. And not any of you threatening me or telling me you're coming after because you don't like what I said is going to change the fact that no one has convicted him. He has not been arrested. And the bottom line is that's the law. Innocent until proven guilty. And if you're the mother of a son, if you're the mother of a son who gets accused, you want to keep innocent until proven guilty. Just ask, just wait, 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 wait. Just ask the parents of the boys of the Duke lacrosse team. Remember that? We raked them across the, the coals, burned them at the stake, took away every opportunity they had of school, they were done. And it turns out it wasn't true. So I think we UVA. all, and UVA, same thing. We all have a very important role to play when it comes to abuse and rape. So, Whoopi Goldberg, she's, uh, she's not messing around, eh? You know, she's not messing around. She makes a good point in the sense that people are tried on the media. Mm-hmm. In the social media, more specifically, those Twitter trials, feel free to, you know, uh, say anything they like and you, you basically, your life gets destroyed yeah. before 
you've even had a chance to to explain yourself. And she does also mention another important thing, which is being falsely accused, because let's face Mm. it, that does happen sometimes. You know, men get falsely accused of harassing women. And, you know, once you've been labeled a rapist, Mm. that's a tough thing to come back from. It's even harder if you are, in fact, innocent. But there you go. That's the Bill Cosby Cosby. saga. It's going to be following us for a while. Yeah. In Myanmar, on the other hand, the parliament has passed a controversial measure that will make it much harder for Buddhist women to marry non-Buddhist men. Now, uh, apparently, it's called the Buddhist Women's Special Marriage Bill. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, so are they they only... This bill is backed... By extremist Buddhist monks. Is that even extremist no. Buddhist? I, I Did you know that that was possible? I, did, I mean, aren't Buddhists some of the calmest, most relaxed, most peaceful? <laughs> but apparently not. Apparently not. They they aim to incite hatred against those Muslims, oh dear. the radical Buddhist monks. <laughs> so are they what? saying that? Uh, are they saying that Buddhist? It was approved by the country's parliament on Tuesday, and it says. Basically, Buddhist, uh, Buddhist women. I mean, it says nothing about Buddhist men, which mm. is why I'm raising it here. Um, have to register with the government if they intend to marry non-Buddhists. It sounds awfully like what we had here back in mm, the mm. terrible old days, doesn't it? It does. So are they saying that Buddhist women can only marry Buddhist men? Essentially, that's is, is that what they're saying, or do they just have a problem with the marriage? Yes, a well, Muslim they don't man. want to marry Muslim men specifically. Um, it's fascinating. You know, as a whole law. Uh, I, I Human know. Rights Watch said that the law is incredibly dangerous. Well, it is incredibly mm. dangerous because apparently the poor Rohingya Muslims are the ones that are being targeted here. The ones living. You know, even though we're progressing, sometimes we just keep going backwards, all all in the same space. You know, it's 2015. You still have countries telling women what they can and cannot do. It's it's unfortunate. Buddhist women, no less. Buddhist women. Yeah, yeah. they're meant to be the most peaceful people. Hmm. So we thought. All right, and that is the women's news. Uh, 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 one well, last, oh, one last bit of women's sorry, news. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're, you're back. You get to yes, do. You get yes, to do what yes. you like. Don't, don't ditch the women's news before <laughs> we fully finished. And what I wanted to say is, it's like mother, like daughter. Apparently, Cindy Crawford's daughter has been signed to a top model agency, oh. IMG, and already shot for uh, Vogue Italia. Yeah. But the here's the thing. The girl is 13. Uh-huh. Um, her name mm-hmm. is Kaya Gerber. She does look alarmingly like her mother. Right. Sans the beauty oh. spot. Sans okay. the beauty. My daughter has a beauty spot. So she's like a, <laughs> she's like a younger version of Cindy Crawford. It's actually freakish and it's quite interesting because I mean, she comes hot on the heels of a whole series of like sort of children of celebrities who are, and younger siblings who are kind of lookalikes. Yeah. Not least like sort of Kim Kardashian's mm. um, younger sister, mm. the one or the other. Which one is it? That looks, oh, that looks a lot like her. Is it, who is Cindy Crawford married to? Do we? A do we guy know? called Randy Gerber. Now this she chose him specially for that name. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, <laughs> she is your you, say what? You Randy? Know, if if <laughs> come along, I, I suppose if you American must, names. if you must tick off something on your checklist uh, to marry somebody, uh, <laughs> having a, a fancy name is as good a reason as any. But what does this Randy guy look like? You know, he's I always. Also, what does it matter though? D- well, no, look, he's like no, you reproduced know, beautifully. Well, this is the thing: is you see, like Cindy obviously has great genes, but so now let's Randy. let's so let's Randy. say the, fa- let's, say the let's say the father didn't have good genes. Like, would the child then kind of suffer? Because you know, genetically speaking. <laughs> no, look at him. He's chiseled jaw. Okay, well then, then they then. actually look like a sort of weird. Sort of mishmash of each other. Come, come, look at, look at Randy. Look at the chisel-jawed Randy Gerber. Okay, yeah. And I mean, Cindy, producing. Cindy's a tall woman, so and he's taller than her, so yeah, he's, he's got have that. Have a look, have a look. There's right. Randy. Oh, that's him. He looks like an American soap actor or something. He does. <laughs> he does. All right. Okay. Can we can we chat to Lesejo now? Can we can we get into Rand. it? All right. We're yes, gonna, okay, fine. We're gonna wrap up the the women's news there. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Uh, 0861551895 if you'd like to get a hold of us on the line or you can message us straight to WeChat on the Cliff Central account or you can tweet us at cliffcentral.com. Lesejo Semenya joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Lesejo. Good afternoon, Mabalimulon. Um, hello, Lesejo. <laughs> hello, Espazef. We weren't introduced. You're being rude. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We Sorry. Did that. We did that all earlier on. Oh, yes. Um, Lesejo, interestingly enough, when Aspasia was putting up the tweet of you coming to join us, um, she, she referred to you as celebrity chef. Oh, we, we started with that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, oh, look, no, here's somebody also saying celeb chef, Les the chef. So are you, are you not comfortable being called a celebrity chef? I don't consider myself a celeb and I don't, well, I'm a chef, so you can call me a well-known chef. You can right. call me one of those. But the thing is that term is linked to a whole lot of people who aren't chefs as well. Um, a few days ago, someone retweeted, um, or tweeted they were doing a whole marketing campaign and they were tweeting about how Jay something is now the face of, I keep forgetting how to say that name. Um, Highway or that, the Chinese. Oh, Huawei. Huawei. <laughs> Huawei, I think that's Huawei. as close as we're going to get. Huawei, he's the creative director there. Oh. And in part of the tweet, she wrote, and Celeb Chef. Oh. And so I went and wrote a whole blog post explaining what a chef is, and some of the people on TV can't be called chefs, and the whole drama behind that. So that's why I found it funny. I feel your pain, me. I feel your pain, because I was <laughs> on Come Dine With Me. And oh, yes, I remember yes, the episode. Yes, yes. And you know... I just expected some like basic cooking <laughs> skills to like manifest <laughs> on that show. And I realized, mm, no, no, that's not what this is all about. Mm. But also, I mean, very much not a celeb chef situation that come down with me, was it? No, but that's more for entertainment. Yeah. Um, what's the guy's name? I keep forgetting. At my his expense. Name. Yeah. <laughs> I love the commentary on it. That uh, guy should commentate on our parliament. Oh. He should. Can oh, you oh, imagine? He's so his, his surname is Lamb. Yes, I'm Rob. No, it's not. I think it's David. Dave, but Dave Lamb, that's it. Yes, yes, but we digress. Let's we do digress. Let's, let's focus on okay. celebrity chefs like you and I. <laughs> yes. Well, le- let's, let's begin with, <laughs> let's begin with how, how difficult it is being in your industry or, or is it not? I mean, um, the, the hours that you have to ooh. keep, the, the work ethic that you need to the maintain. Fingers that you have to lose I, and sacrifice. Yes. Oh Lord, I could tell you a whole story about starting out as a chef. Yeah. Um, luckily for me or unluckily, I don't know how you'd look at it. I, for six years was an engineer working just down the road and on Rivonia Vessels Road at the very bottom there. And after six years of doing that, wearing a tie suit and doing the whole corporate big talk speak, um, I couldn't do it anymore. So I just traveled South Africa for a year. I'm getting to know our country and I decided, look, I'm good at cooking. Ladies seem to enjoy my food. The ladies. <laughs> no, it's always the ladies. It's yeah. always for the ladies. I thought it but was then, the, the, the old adage was oh like no. through the men's stomach, oh. but now it transpires that really it's the oh, ladies. Oh, yeah, yeah. The ladies' stomach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I quit and I decided, look, let me go to chef school. And I went to, well, they classified as the best one in South Africa. <laughs> um, Prue Leith. Prue Leith. Uh, yeah. That is like hectic. It is, yeah. That's where we're leading up to. It's an 18-month course, and they took a three-year diploma, and they squeezed it into 12 months of theory and practical. Right. So you start at 7 in the morning, and you work your, your butt off until around 11, because there's a working restaurant there. 11 p.m.? 11 p.m. So after you finish with your studies and your practical for the day, you have like maybe two-hour break, and then you head into the working restaurant. If you ever want to eat like nice fine dining, go to there. Pretty, yeah, they have a working restaurant there. It's all staffed by the students and it's brilliant. And yeah, you, you cut yourself. Um, with the, <laughs> the knife training, you're literally chopping flour for about three hours straight and they measure the gaps between the lines <gasps> in the flour. And it was compulsory to carry plaster with you uh, all the time. Yeah. Before you walked into the school, they'll check your knife bag and see if you had plasters with you. So cutting myself actually, can see the burns on my arm. Oh my oh. goodness, he is what actually of... quite battle scarred. It's quite sexy. Do you show that to the ladies as well? Look, look. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're like these are yeah. these are the battle scars, <laughs> so that yeah. I can make you this uh, beautiful. Do you introduce a new French accent? No, oh, because no, I thought no. that's compulsory. Once you've become a trained chef. You must speak with the accent. <laughs> Today we make the mayonnaise. Those are the celeb chefs. <laughs> Those are the celeb <laughs> Those chefs. Those are the celeb chefs. <laughs> not, not the real chefs oh, like no. you. Oh. 
Lesikho, some might say that uh, making a decision to leave something that is, you know, that you were doing for six years, you said it was secure, um, mm. you were you were earning good money, I assume, as an engineer, and then you leave it all and you venture into this passion of yours. First of all, I mean, how old or how young were you when you when you had that passion and say, well, this, you know, I enjoy cooking, I enjoy food? Um. Well, I moved, well, I didn't move out of home. My parents bought another townhouse when I was 16 and they bought this house in the West Rand far away and I couldn't live there. So I was like, please don't sell the townhouse. Let me live here alone. And I spent two years of my last schooling years basically living there with my younger brother and learned to cook. You have to. You can't be living off Oreos and, <laughs> and Well, can. you can, but <laughs> <laughs> it would be an ugly experiment. <laughs> so unfortunately, no, I had to learn how to cook and we actually enjoyed doing it. Um, but then when I was still at Wits University doing my BCom, I happened to win a competition to go and study and work at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started working as a process engineer whilst I was still studying. So I quit when I was 25 and 26 is when I started chef school. So I've been in the industry about seven years now. And the thing is, you know, it's so much easier, don't you find to actually work hard when yeah. you're doing something that you're passionate about. It is. And when you see the end result and what it does to people and they see it as well. I mean, when you put a plate down and you just took five things and you made this thing on a, on a piece of um, porcelain and they're so excited about what you've done, that feeling you get at the same time, um, you can't explain it. What is so, your favorite ingredient? Ooh, right now I'm obsessed with paprika. But not oh. the the one we get here in our stores. There's a, a a from Spain proper one. I love it so much. It comes in small little cans, about the size of your hand, and I put it in everything right now. Does this mean, Lisejo, that every every night of your life when you're cooking, you eat delicious, good food, <laughs> decadent? You eat you well. eat like a king every day of your life, oh. and then some of us get oh. home and we're like, ah, just put some cheese between the bread slices and we're good to go. I wish it was like that. <laughs> when I was still studying, um, we used to get all our food because um, you practice a whole lot of stuff and they don't want it there. They'll give it to you. Go home with it. So you'd go home with literally buckets and um, <laughs> full Tupperwares of fine dining food. And I mean, you're young at the time. You don't care. You're busy downing that stuff. Mm. And back then, I would say I used to eat fancy stuff. But with the hours you work, um, a chef starting out, you'd work 12-hour shifts. Mm. And it's not glamorous. There's nothing pretty about it. You'd get home tired, and someone swore at you would throw a pot past your head, or <laughs> someone. Is it not, true? I mean, oh, all these myths is, about the crazy sh- head chef, and it is true. All those, all those personalities out there. It is true. Behaving the old school, badly. especially the French Gordon one. Ramsay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Gordon does it for the cameras. Mm. Um, half Gordon's personality, a little bit. Um, there you get a typical restaurant and hotel chef. Those are the ones who, who mm. act that way, where it's, you're pushing numbers out. And the way a kitchen works, um, a proper kitchen hotel one, there's someone who just does sauces. There's someone who just does the starch. There's someone who just does the veggies. So one plate has five people touching it. So if one person in that line, Slows the whole plate up, the orders that are coming afterwards, and everything else gets messed up, and hence the anger, hence the swearing, hence <laughs> all the the issues. But at the end of the day, when it's done and we're walking out the kitchen, oh, we forget about it. Um, you know, sometimes you get those those difficult customers oh, yes. who are very hard to please. How do you how do chefs deal with a customer who spit spit no <laughs> who who just is, they're looking for something to complain about? They just they refuse to be happy. I've spent so many years trying to tell people we don't spit in our food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we don't do that unless you, you go to your, your franchises. A qualified chef would never. We actually see it as a challenge if someone returns a plate. Mm. Um, the previous place I worked before I went um, on my own tangent and, dub, and did my own business was at Ulusaba, Richard Branson's Lodge. Mm. And there in the morning, I would um, create a menu for dinner. There wasn't any set menu. And I'd have to think it up, dream up what I'm going to serve these people. Three starters, a soup, three main courses, and um, three desserts. And every day you had to create that. Then you present that to the guests. I'm at getting hungry. Time. I can actually hear my stomach <laughs> making <laughs> boiling noises. <It's> terrible. <laughs> Glad I have that effect. No, 
Yeah, <laughs> do, do, yeah, just looking at you makes me hungry. Really? Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> I have a big love of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd present the menu to the guests and you could actually see the reaction in the eyes if they're going to enjoy what you're making. And you'll see skeptical. Usually it was the American ones. Uh, be like, uh, and roll their eyes and stuff. So those type of guests, during the meal, mm. you go up to them and you, how's your meal? And you talk with them, make it personal. Mm. So it kills that whole, I'm here. I'm paying for this and you just make it more like you in my um, home basically and I hope you're enjoying and please be hospitable and tell me what you're not enjoying. So that breaks the ice and they tend to be nice about your food end of the day. How do you deal with all these people who've developed like essentially this terrible like sort of fear of carbs and fear of this and fear of that? I mean there is a lot of like sort of no dairy oh. and they gluten this oh. and it oh. just yeah. Yeah. I can only eat oh. <laughs> yeah. three granadilla <laughs> ever. <laughs> Whatever. I'll ask you the salt content and where you sourced your pork. And yeah. Look, um at the degree or diploma study gives you all that info. We had to learn about celiacs, we had to learn about diabetics, um, kosher meals, um, Halal, everything, all that info. So it's in the back of our head. But that doesn't mean I'm not human. And someone sends us for you an omelette. They want it to be vegetarian, but then they ask for a piece of bacon in it. And you, you wonder, but what is, how, how can it be veg? Yeah. There was one lady who asked for oyster omelette. She asked me to put oysters in the middle of her omelette. Um, there was another lady who asked for chocolate who mixed into her, her gravy for a steak. Look, we do some chocolate stuff in fine dining, but yeah. So <laughs> right now the banting thing is what I get. Dr. Cindy and I, we don't get along about, yeah. She's forever banting this, banting that. She and, is the banting champion oh, right now. The queen of banting. Uh, I mean, our bodies are designed to, okay, I'm not a doctor, but I mean, if you're having starch for how long? All you have to do is go to gym. Why you have to? You look at me. Are you on banting as well? No, I'm not. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. When I'm people not. tell me they're not eating a certain. Well, I think food about one percent of people do actually have celiac disease. Yeah, I think it's one percent who are quite literally. And there, I think there's some people who. I mean, there's one whole population I was reading who's truly, truly lactose intolerant. I think it might be mm. the Scandinavian one. Who are those people who also defaulted on their thing? The Iceland. <laughs> defaulted. Yeah. I'm just thinking of default because I'm Greek. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Greek. Yeah, no, extraction. Yeah, it's fit. It's very big yes, on my mind. Right. And I was delighted to hear that the Icelandic population, who also defaulted last year or something, sure. um, two years ago, they have, like, as a congenital thing, a lot of them are totally really? unable to eat dairy. Do you know 70% of people of African descent um, have... Lactose intolerance. 70%. 70%. 70 that is you and the Iceland yeah. people. But we, we, we love milk apparently, but it's actually 70%. It's in our genes where we're actually lactose intolerant. Let's talk cuisines because, mm. you know, um, on a global scale, you know, it's, it's, some, it's sometimes easier to define a nation's cuisine than it is for diff- for other countries, you know, with the Italians, it's the pasta and the, you the know, Greeks, with, with the Greeks, the it's, Greeks. It's, it's, it's the Mediterranean the vibe. The drachma. And, you know, then you, get, <laughs> then, Sorry. You, <laughs> then you get the Thai food, the Thai cuisine. Now, some people say that it's difficult defining a South African cuisine. What is South African cuisine? It's not actually. It's just that we, we don't build our food up. Like mm. um, two, was it a month ago? I was dared by Simpuetan on Twitter to do something with chicken feet. Mm. So I decided to do two things. I made them um, barbecue sticky and I made a whole teriyaki kind of sauce and I played around with it. It looked really good. People were more open to that. But then I went further and I deboned all the chicken feet and I made a terrine. And it looked very fine dining and fancy and the uproar on Twitter about it. I actually trended that night because of that terrine. <laughs> yeah. And like our people don't want to experiment with our food and they see it as homely. And unfortunately, you can't go to a restaurant and order homely food. And unf- we have to get to the point where we allow us to play around with our stuff mm. and actually make it platable to actually, you don't want to go to a restaurant to pay for something you can make. Mm. You want it to be an experience and we have to start doing that with our food, make it an experience. So now tell us a bit about um, feeding the football club. 
the Liverpool <laughs> Football Club. Out of all the people, how do you feed those people? <laughs> well, I don't know. I just saw that, and I was like, "How do you feed a football club? Like, uh, they surely they sportsmen. Now this is specific needs. This is Liverpool Football Club, with, which is just one of the many famous celebrity people that apparently That's why they call him a celebrity <laughs> chef. But the, <laughs> the gentleman doth protest too much. <laughs> but yes, tell us. Um, Liverpool FC in 2010 they came here just before the World Cup. And I had won a competition. Um, it was hosted by the British High Commission. We had to design a pie. And I made a, I took a got a township, um, furniture, for yes. lack of a better word, and I made it into a fine dining pie. And it won that. And I got the chance to actually go to the British High Commissioner's house. And they were there that night and we had to cook for them. And the dinner had my pie in there. Um, just standard stuff, nothing too complicated. There was a couscous dish there. There was a stew. The Brits love one pot cooking. Uh, uh, they just go crazy for it. That's why they love the Indian food. Um, yeah, it was a standard, nothing oh, too. Okay, hectic. nothing. Yeah. What is the most like sort of m- crazy meal that you're most proud of? Or it doesn't need to be a crazy meal, but uh, certainly a fine dining meal that you think, oh, I look back on cooking this meal and I think, well done me. Yeah, I was, I was on a roll I that was, day. <laughs> Bring my celeb on. Um, in, was it two years ago when Richard Branson came back? Um, he used to visit the lodge once a year and we made a whole buffet for him and his people, these billionaire friends of his, and we thought it was pretty good. But as they were walking out of their meeting, um, the host comes to me and says, is there gravy? And me (laughs) being fine dining and French taught, we don't do gravies, the au jus and reductions and, so I was like, a gravy? What do you mean a gravy? How do you make a gravy? He says, no, he wants a gravy. He doesn't eat any meal without a gravy. <laughs> so I whipped up some crazy gravy in the kitchen. Um, in five minutes, I had all these British-flavored things. There was um, bovril in there. Yeah, um, there was cream <laughs> cheese. Ah! And it turned out so well that it actually got famous at the... After that, kept going everywhere else, and they kept asking for it. And I get emails from poor chefs and other places asking me, "There's a gravy that apparently a chef from that lodge made. Can you please give us a <laughs> recipe?" So, out of the things I would say I'm proud of, that would be that one. To trick a a British, a famous British person to believe what I made was actually what he thought it was. Um, you know, they. I, I suppose some people would consider being a chef uh, a a form of art, a type it of is. art of sorts. You know. But how often do you get a dish wrong and you just think, oh, that was a big mistake, oh. and then you just have to throw it out and start All from the beginning? All the time. All the time. All the time. I'm never happy. And <laughs> Perfectionist. Like a few, few days ago, I made a Marilyn Monroe um, giant cupcake for someone who ordered it. And I looked at it, and I was not happy. But she was coming to pick it up in an hour. And she got there the way she was so excited and so happy about what she got there. So I've learned to actually go with my – just let it go. Look, you <laughs> you know your what you're doing and just believe that it's okay and let it go. Um all the time when I'm making things and like lamb, I'll think it's overcooked, but then do I get to the table and the person says it's how I want it to be. So you go to your gut end of the day and say, Okay. Now I read that you um you go into people's homes if they want to, if they want to book your services and you go into their homes and you, you teach them a few skills. Is that something that you're still doing? Yes, I still do it. Unfortunately, the way I'm so busy, it's, yeah. When what are I you do busy with? Celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> From the beginning to the end. <laughs> the celeb word. Um, yeah, I do that sometimes. Um, there's also these, um, well, we'll go back to that celeb word. They don't want to go eat out in restaurants, so I bring the restaurant to them. Oh. So I turn the house and the living room into a fine dining restaurant. And give them a whole menu, and then you choose from the menu. We set the table, make it fine dining style, and two people, three people, a group of people, and we bring it into the home. The the teaching um, part, people tend to ask me to teach them to cook, but I can't take everything I've learned in the years I've done and teach them in what three four hours. So I tend to ask people, what is it that you'd like to learn? Is it about red meat? Is it about Italian food, etc. And I go into their homes, I bring my own equipment and my own tools, and I show them in their home how to do it. Because it's pointless going to a um, cookery class with all the fanciest equipment, and then you go home and you don't have any of that. So I'd rather bring it to you so you see it and you can actually understand that you can buy the stuff yourself. 
and you make it homely for them. And when you're gone, they can carry on doing it themselves. And then what's going to come next for mm. you, Lesejo? What's, what's next on your, on your agenda, your checklist? Um, sorry, I didn't answer the, the previous question. What am I busy with? Yes. I am the yeah. DSTV, um, well, the foodies ambassador. Um, we don't know where that might lead up because I'm forever knocking TV chefs, but yeah. Um, I, for How the, funny would it be if you ended up yeah, that's on celebrity like, TV <laughs> show? Mm, yeah, there's with your own show and there's the rest of us watching you cooking away and we're like, yeah, you see. You see, you sell see. out, sell out, sell out. So that, yeah, we, it's, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that leads up. Um, there's a DVD that we're cooking up as well. Mm. There is, um, seminars I'm going to be starting because the number of people asking me, can you show me how to do something? So I'll be hosting um, seminars where people can come in, similar to what you get at the Good Food and Wine Show, but it will be done by me myself. And you'd come into a country um, amphitheater, and I'll just show you maybe for three or four hours, talk you through different um, concepts and stuff. And um, book deals also been signed. Oh, very yeah. busy then, hey? <laughs> lots, lots of stuff coming. Yeah. Um, what What are you going to concentrate on, like the signature gravy dish? Yeah, maybe we should just call it gravy. <laughs> no, the um surprising people are interested in my journey. Um I blogged at the very beginning of my blog, uh my story and going through chef school and all the stories and the madness and the swearing and what chefs are like. And people find that fascinating. Mm. So the book will be a mixture of that plus um recipes. So taking your everyday person and upskilling them the way I was upskilled. I don't know anything about cheese and Mm. The way I was taught about cheese, yeah, olive oil. I didn't understand the concept of olive oil and the different nuances in olive oil. So taking that and bringing it simpler, not your typical kind of cookbook because there's too many of them out there, something different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what uh, we'll be pushing, that kind of. Lesoho, if, uh, if we'd like to get a hold of you, if we'd mm. like to have you come into our, mm. into our dining rooms and cook for us, maybe some guy wants to propose to his love and he's like, oh, but I need a special dinner. <laughs> Let me get that Lesoho guy. Let me ask him, how can people get a hold of you? I have a website, lesdechef.com. Um, also on Twitter, lesdechef. Everywhere, Instagram is lesdechef. Lesdechef. Everywhere. Email, um, info at lesdechef.com. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank this you afternoon. for having me. Thank you. I'm we'll trying to find a really good um, Epicurean kind of epithet thing mm. of the Greek variety to talk about food <laughs> and something foodish, but I can't. So I found this kissing don't last cookery do from George Meredith. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. Uh, thanks okay. for that. <laughs> Thank and you you're so cooking far. in the kitchen. <laughs> oh. uh, stay with us right here in between two fems, cliffcentral.com. Janelle Monet on cliffcentral.com between two fems, yoga. Um, okay, Aspasia is back after a lovely time in Greece. <laughs> Paris, I mean, Paris. S- sorry, Paris. No, it's because we were talking about, about Greece. About Greece. Greece is not having a lovely time. No, they're Matt. not. Shame. Sadly, I have no idea what they were when celebrating last, on Sunday when, night. When, was when the last they time, did that, I was like, uh, <laughs> when was the last time you went to Greece? Last August. Do you still have family in Greece? My parents. <gasps> So, so now what are your parents oh, going to do? Just daily Skype of drama and tragedy. Oh no. But I mean, are they still, they're still gonna stay in Greece? Yeah, what right? are they gonna they're, do? They're they can't leave now. There's, do you know that I read today that if you want to book a ticket in Greece right now, mm. the airlines have blocked the tickets. You can't actually get an airline ticket. Oh my goodness. Because obviously you're not going to pay for it in cash. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I was mystified. I saw that in the New York Times. I like, suppose now that is terrible. It's going to get worse before it gets better, I suppose. Okay. Moving on. Move on. Move on. All right. Uh, we've got Sarah Jane Nich- Nicholson joining us now in studio. Good afternoon, Sarah Jane. Hello. Oh no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. One, two, three. Sorry. I don't have you on the right microphone. Let's try that again. Hello. <laughs> that's, that's much better. Um, Sarah Jane, you are in the talent Music. brand yeah. management industry. You work with creatives. 
you you are in charge of uh, some of the bigger bands that we that we love here in South Africa. You work with the likes yes. of Mikasa, Good Luck. Um, worked with Lock and Wolf from the very early early stages of their career. Um, working with a very exciting Nonku Perry. <gasps> who is, you know, a firm favorite on this show. Yeah. <laughs> because I like to play her quite frequently. She's brilliant. Yeah. Extremely talented. And, um, yeah. Is she related to, um, is that her dad? Ray Piri. Ray Piri. Yes, but we, we, we like don't to like to make a. Yes. Fast of that. No. All right, because she's trying to break her it out on and her and own she and her yeah, own, yeah. Um, life. Yeah, and it's her own sound, and I think she's she's worked really hard to get to where she um, is now, doing collaborations with the likes of Ryan Murgatroy and Th Bat. Yes. Songs are amazing. So, I love that girl. So she's sort of been the um, you know she's the the vocalist on Zoma, which was a huge hit last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so slowly but surely now with the release of a new single, she's um, coming into her own, which is great. Sarah Jane, here's the million dollar question. <laughs> How did you become such a powerhouse? Oh no. Yeah, take us back to the beginning. Oh, okay. When well, it was still hard and you were toughing it and roughing it out. <laughs> well, actually, I studied film. Um, and back in the day, my, my father wouldn't buy me a Mac because he didn't believe that students needed Macs. Crazy, so, crazy, no, crazy you know, talk. Was, this, is, this is ridiculous. So I'll buy you a doll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he said, Didn't I challenge know. you to work until you can pay the difference. And so um, whilst I was studying, I um, worked at a restaurant at the waterfront. So that was back in the day when I was hustling my um, my uh, studies versus my um, trying to get forward in the creative industry. And whilst I was working, I actually, all my friends were making music videos, being in a, in a mm, film school. Mm. Um, that's what cool kids do. So, um, my brother's and fashion films, fashion films. Yeah. So my brother's best friends happened to be Andrew and Brian of Lock and Wall at the time. And, um, they so were easy on the eyes, those boys. <laughs> so, so stunning. <laughs> Naughty. They were always the ones gate crashing my parties because they're younger. <laughs> and, um, my parents were actually away in Greece at the time. <sighs> I was house sitting. Yeah. And, um, I shot a music video with the boys and that music video was Son of My Pocket. Wow. And um after that we submitted to a couple of radios and all of a sudden I was managing a band. <laughs> and did things just kind of explode and take off very quickly from that point onwards? Oh, now that I look back, yes. However, at the time it was a, you know, one struggle to the next trying to get your your song played or played a club or lugging this equipment around and you know so when you look back I think it's always Look, seems easier than what it was. You really do have to have a passion for it if you're going to get into this industry, though, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's a lot of knocking on doors and having mm-hmm. them close right in your face. Um, you know, it's a lot of hustling, as you mentioned, trying to get exposure for the people that you represent. It's 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 tough. Do, I mean, you probably got very little sleep. <laughs> in the beginning. Well, I definitely traveled from a very young age, which I was really. Really fortunate to do. I um, traveled to Orlando with the guys when we worked with Johnny Wright, who's Justin Timberlake's manager. Um, and he flew us all down there to get into, they call it a compound, which is like a creative space where it's like, it's like an artist dream. Studios, you've got put like, um, temp and bowling, you've got, uh, tennis courts, pools, whatever you want, you've got it there. And it's a hub where you go to make music. And, um, at the time, Aaron Carter was actually there. And boys to men recording. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. boys to men. So yeah, it's how, how do you actually like? I mean, here's the thing: you're dealing with rather creative, uh, whimsical souls, and you yourself being quite a creative person. How did you actually learn the skills of now? I'm going to manage mm. you people. Mm. You know, it's quite <laughs> difficult. Initially, you've got to step back and you've got to be like, okay, well, we're mates. And we're all having fun together, but also at the end of the day, we're working together and there's a certain amount of responsibility from both parties. So um, I think with age comes more respect. And back in those days, you know, I was sort of a very young soul in the industry and I was working with in a male-dominated industry with mm. men sort of sitting across the table with us negotiating deal points um, for international contracts and they'd look at you like – What's this little prissy, you know, chick doing? Mm. So it's, it's tricky. Um, but it, it's a process, you know. And how did you, I mean, what was your tactic for dealing with, uh, with these men in a, in a male dominated industry? Because, you know, some women think, well, I'm just going to behave more like them so that they can actually take me seriously. 
Um, and then other women decide, no, I'm just, I mean, what was your, your strategy? Mm-hmm. So sometimes question, you shouldn't, yeah, <laughs> that is a very good question. And sometimes I ask myself that because I'm like, why am I constantly being undermined and, you know, with these, these males in this industry? But, um, one, you can play on your, the downfall that they see as, as a strength. So sometimes playing dumb or maybe not saying anything or challenging, sometimes strength, you know, not to Mm. say anything rather than saying something and then they understand what you're thinking is. Um, (sighs) That Angela Merkel strategy (laughs) as well, just saying. And she's a seriously Yeah, look how she's played Greece right now. (laughs) (laughs) But luckily stay away from that. No, but that is her strategy. She actually stays quiet and never reveals her cards. Mm. Mm. So that's quite a strong one. Obviously, being a female working with younger males in the industry, you know, you can play the little like, come on, look into my eyes kind of thing. Um, give me a chance. I'm determined and I'll make it kind of thing. Happy, cute smile, which, which works every she's now and then. She's also got a very nice dimple. This <laughs> work wonders <laughs> when she's doing that strategy. <laughs> but um, other than that, you know what? I always say you work with people that want to work with you. And I'm not here to, you know, I don't want to ever be in a position or in a contractual agreement where either party isn't happy. So until such point as, you know, we, if we work well together, we work well together. And whether you're male or female, I think if, if you have a good business ethic, um, you know, you should and you, and you appreciate each other, it, there shouldn't be this hierarchy of, you know, you're younger or you're female. Do you know what I mean? Sarah Jane, do you always feel as though you are 100% confident in the decisions that you're making? Because, you know, in, when you're managing these people, you're basically advising them how to behave, how to, you know, uh, do they um, behave? How, how <laughs> to, it's rock and roll. <laughs> you know, it could, it could go down to things like how to speak in certain environments, um, their images, you're managing that. Mm. I mean, do you always, do you always feel like you know what you're doing with, with your different artists? Oh, well, so always draw on professionals in other places. So, you know, whether it be stylists, whether it be, you know, obviously it all comes back to me and I'm challenging that communicate or channeling that communication. But, you know, and if I need to get attorney's advice, you go for that and you say it's an investment. Or if I need to get a stylist on board to relook at the positioning of, you know, what the, where the brand's going as far as the aesthetic goes, then we get a professional to conceptualize that. So, so I'm, I'm definitely not. More and more as, as my career progresses, I'm not wearing so many hats mm. because the, the artists I'm, I'm fortunate to work with, we can afford to get outside opinions and, and even work mm. with the very best who are pioneering their field. So, um, so I like to draw, as I said, on, on out, outside influences where, where, um, I'm not an expertise in those, those places. How did you decide on, or how do you decide on, okay, I'm going to represent you now? And because I'm sure people are now banging down your door going, hmm, she's got a really good track record. She clearly understands a thing or two. Yeah. Um, how do you choose well, the next big mm-hmm. thing? Like this clever non-coup period. Yeah, well, Just it's putting her name in <laughs> again. So I always, I was always a one-man show. Um, and last year I partnered up with um, Amaru who manages Black Coffee and he runs a record label called Solistic Music. And he sort of said, SJ, you can't be a one-man show forever. You need a team of people to support you. Well, you do if you're building an empire, which, <laughs> is, which is kind of the point that we're at right now. So, so basically, so I've got um, a team or two team members back at home at the office um, who support me. And um, as far as new talent goes and bringing them on, um, it depends on where they are in their career and what type of resource they need. Um, so if it's a local act, you know, it's just gaining traction and they show potential to gain traction here. Um, and it's a, a, a matter of us plugging them into the correct channels and connecting them with the right people. Um, that can, that's fairly easy. And, and my team can facilitate that. Um, however, if it's like international, um, for instance, good luck in Makassar, mm-hmm. where we've, we've, we're developing strategies for international, you know, um, reach and there it's a bit more difficult because I need to be, you know, on tour. I need to be engaging with stakeholders. I need to be, you know, front of house. Mm. So the bigger acts, it's harder to take on more at the moment because there's only one of me, but with the smaller acts, um, I have quite a competent team and, and with the connections, um, and with the right briefing, it's, it's pretty simple. 
Now you you come from a marketing background, mm. and I'm wondering with you know with the work that you're doing now and the impact that social media has had on how you know people now have to change the way that they advertise and marketing is also affected, and certainly the way that um, artists want to get their their names out there more. That's also been impacted by social media. Uh, how's that experience been for you? Just a- adjusting to to the way that the game is now being played and the way that it continues to change. Well, it's actually very interesting because I was recently in Singapore at, at a music conference over there. And um, it's funny to see how our uh, South Africa is quite far behind with regards to some social platforms. And, of course, every territory has different platforms mm. that they depend on more. For in, in what sense? Like, give me an example. So, for example, YouTube in Asia and Australia and even in the States is absolutely huge. huge. Mm. And it's seen as a social platform. Mm. So it's it's like a Facebook and a Twitter. It's used there as a platform to communicate, to focus message to a community. Um, so when I was over there, I was kind of shocked because we're not, we're using our, our platform, our YouTube platform as, as for p- polished content only. Whereas they have three types of content. They call it um, hygiene, hype, and the last one is hub. And these three types of content are used differently throughout a month. Um, and basically, Hub is content that is polished, that is like a music video. Hygiene would be something that you're posting on a daily basis, like um, behind the scenes of, you know, the working of in the studio or so on. What do you think of this track I'm working on? Um, two-way, encouraging two-way communication with the audience. Okay. And then um, Hub Hygiene... Did I say hub and hygiene? Yes. Yeah. Then um, hype is more like promotional. Like um, can be a music video, but it can also be something that is leading up to some like a tour date or a um, behind the scenes or a gig guide or something like that. So these different types of content are all being pushed through YouTube. And um, people over there, just going back to your question, artists over there are using YouTube as a main Hub mm. and then pushing to Facebook, Twitter, and all of those, and a couple of others in Asia which we don't even use. Um, so for me, bringing that knowledge back home, I'm saying, okay, well, we need to be communicating through YouTube because they say the YouTubers are the celebrities of tomorrow. Well, well the, video, this is true. Video. This is. I was just to add, but yes. I was at the Marie Claire conference, and video was just yes. the major thing that everyone was on. They were like, mm, we have to make videos, my buddy. Yes. We have to make videos. We do. You and I. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look, you look at somebody like Casper Lee, who's got millions exactly. of, of subscribers on his YouTube channel, and he's earning good money doing that. And covers. You know, people, more and more artists, specifically musicians, are getting, mm. um, you know, uh, reach, and they're generating awareness because of the covers and just using the hashtags. And then people say, oh, that's quite a nice cover. Mm. And then they start following them. So um, something they said to me, they said, Young kids are no longer wanting to watch reality show that isn't on their time and not amongst, you know, in a community. Right. They want to watch real content that is in a community of people like-minded to them and on their own watch. They plug in when they want to. Mm, And that's why they're watching stuff on Snapchat. Exactly. You know what I find very interesting, though, is obviously you're at the forefront of that whole debate on revenue, Mm. revenue streams. Yes. how, How do you deal with that for your... As, as far as for your artists and stuff, I mean, if if they put a song and they people are downloading it for free, yeah. So, uh, so it's, it's what such what a, are you doing about that? Well, it's a very um very long conversation that, mm. but in the long and the give short it to us it. in like three sound bites, Sergey. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my 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 passion is coming from a marketing background is also the brand side of things. So I think more and more artists are realizing how important um, it is to tap into these big budgets that ad agencies have. So understanding the the power of branding and, and brand collaborations and um, not only relying on your music to make you, you know, that 70 cents per track download, mm-hmm. um, each download, you've got to look at other sources of revenue and, and look at a the branding exercise as a whole. So um, I don't see it as a problem. You know, everyone talks about it in a negative light. I think I, I see it as there are opportunities open up, opening up more and more. And these brands need our artists, the mass consciousness of the following, you know, of the, the artists following. So, so I think, and then there's the publishing and the sync side, of course, that mm. is absolutely huge and that we can never, you can never take away. So, um, 
so yeah, I think the future is, is live as far as the revenue, like an income stream for artists goes. Future is live. If your live performance is on spot, you know, on you on top of your game, like McCuss and Good Luck, they are. You, you can, when you can sit back with an artist and you can just say, I'm going to have no tef- technical difficulties. And if there are going to be technical difficulties, I know that there's someone there that knows what they're doing, that has, you know, the, the band's back. It's so much less stressful. <laughs> now, speaking of Mikasa, because we do have to wrap it up, unfortunately, they're mm. about to take on the international circuit and go on their first international tour. Are you going to be joining them? Yes. Yay! <laughs> so when do, you, you when do you leave and where are you going? <laughs> okay, Wednesday we leave. Wednesday evening, we go straight to London. We've got three shows in London. Then we go to um, Amsterdam. Um, show in Amsterdam, a show in Rotterdam, then we go to Bologna in Italy, sure. show in Italy, festival, then we go to, um, Spain, then one show, then Portugal for four shows, and then three shows in Canada. And over how long is this going a to? Month. It's gonna, it's gonna be a busy month, eh? Yeah. With five guys. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I've got to fit in meeting studio time, like meet and greets in between all of that. <laughs> If anybody can do it, you yeah, can. You look oh my super gosh. capable. Yeah, absolutely. Super capable, Thanks so Sarah much. Jane. I really appreciate yes. it. Thank you for joining us Thank this afternoon. You. Thank and, you. And good luck for your world Thank tour you. with Mikasa. I hope it all... And get on video. <laughs> yes. and uh, Well, that's what we've learned. And, and so, I'm, I'm going to do hype, hub, and, and hygiene. hygiene. Yeah. Get um, get the guys to, to film some clips and post it on YouTube. Definitely. Of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Oh, no, we're doing a whole And what they're getting the up to. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay. Um, ah, I just want to say that uh, I won't give it all away, but the Mikasa gentlemen are featuring in the August edition of Marie Claire. <laughs> but we're not giving it away why they are featuring there. But it is exciting. exciting. Well, I mean, we've already seen a lot of the, the gentlemen from Mikasa in that one naked issue that they did. <laughs> I, was, I still was remember it, but the now issue. This is, now we're coming back this from there. This is something different. Okay. Oi. Fantastic. Um, okay, Sarah Jane, let's let's play out with a bit of good luck. Brilliant. We've got a couple of tracks to choose from here. Would you like me to play a specific one? All the all the colours. All the colours. Let's That's go with all the colours. Okay. Um, Sarah Jane Nicholson of the SJN Agency. Thank you for joining us Thank this you. afternoon. And, inspiring. Uh, inspiring. Travel safely on Wednesday. And follow me on Twitter, and then you can see all my travels. I'm following Fantastic. the wrong Sarah Jane Nicholson. Oh, Apologies no. to her. <laughs> well, um, thank you. I'm going to stop following her, and I'm going to follow you. <laughs> And you can catch Aswasia and myself back here next week Thursday again. Cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.